Hi there, and welcome to the Startup Tips Podcast. Your hosts, Scott and Nathan, are here to help you navigate the waters of entrepreneurship and startup success. Starting a business is hard. Scott and Nathan know it because they have been there. They want to use their knowledge, experience, and mistakes to help struggling tech enthusiasts get their businesses off the ground. They will cover everything from developing a business idea to building your team and launching an MVP. They will go broad and they will get technical to give you essential tips to get you on your way to creating a successful startup. Let's get started. Here are Scott and Nathan. Awesome. And we're back. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Good, Nathan. No more skeleton behind me. Oh, you caught me. You caught me. I was <laughs> yeah, gonna I knew you were going to say something. <laughs> Too quick. Come on. You got an open window, it seems like, or a sliding oh, glass door. Sliding glass, yeah. You got, got a surfboard, so no surfboard. more... Um, skeleton on the toilet nope. but you got yeah, a surfboard nice, nice plant skeletons in the bathroom appropriately yeah very appropriate so i take it you moved yeah but ne the next building over so not too far not too far did you actually move your own stuff or did you pay for somebody to move your stuff i moved from... my own stuff and then i paid friends in food and alcohol to move the rest very nice what kind of booze did these uh friends get see how well you Tequila. treated them were they good friends or yeah they're good friends. you know who your friends are when 15 people rsvp to a moving party and three show up <laughs> <laughs> did you disown uh all the others the other 12 i'm pissed okay or are they getting the bud light stuff next time you're buying no they're not getting anything no water tap water yeah tap water all right well glad you're you're settled in it looks yeah. good thanks and again for those who are just listening uh and not watching this on youtube scott moved so we've got a new background to go look at mine hasn't changed as you can see i still have the island of uh bora bora behind me here as did you take souvenir. that picture fanny did my wife did Ooh, yeah that's nice yeah that was for uh one of our um one of our honeymoons, it was about to say, it's not like we had several honeymoons, but it was like one step of this very long honeymoon. How, you, how long was the honeymoon? 12 weeks. Wow. Yeah, that's a different story. That's a big tangent if we start yeah. going down that. Okay, that one right all right. Now. But let's, let's take that out. Let's bring it back. Bring it yeah, back, Scott. Sorry. What are we talking about today? Last time we spoke about kind of... Uh, uh administrative and like productivity tools that we liked to use just starting up our our company i guess or our ideas mm -hmm. our projects when we work uh, either together you and i or just together with uh, anyone else right mm -hmm. um what's a good uh, follow-up to that developer tools oh the nerd tools the nerd tools i love I think that's it a good place. yeah i think that's a good place to go very um, cool we'll change i think we'll change it if you're a non-technical entrepreneur, this might not be the podcast for you, but it, I think it's it's interesting just listening to the tools you need to be a developer. Um, and yeah, I think there's also a high chance that if if you do want to launch a, a technology product, yeah, right, totally. that you will either use, play, touch with these tools yourself or work with people that do. So just having mm -hmm. that awareness. Um, That's a great point. Be, yeah. Um, yeah, so... I'm going to have you guide this a little bit. Uh, what do you, where do you want to start? 
Well, I'm curious because, um, you know, I, I've been doing more, uh, you know, people management in the technology space more recently in my more in my um, more recent years, right? So more around, you know, growing teams, building teams and all that. Although, you know, um, you know, part of that is also kind of establishing looking at, you know, bettering, changing, auditing processes and tooling mm. for our, our companies and, and teams, right? So, uh, that's just a long way to say that I haven't been as active a uh, developer uh, as you have probably for a few years. I just still know enough to be dangerous, but um, oh, yeah. Um, um, so I was going to kind of flip it back to you and see what yeah. you have in your tool belt. Um, Cause yeah. I have a few, but I don't think Dreamweaver is really a thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I heard that word, I was in uh, Excel spreadsheet class in college microsoft access no the database software oh microsoft? yeah yeah like, yeah yeah might, yeah, yeah. yeah might have been that they integrated the uh, okay tools. yeah um yeah so <clears throat> i think when you talk about developer tools a lot of it comes down to what you were saying with productivity so i think so there's a few must-haves um for a text editor or something that uh you write code in. Um, I really like Microsoft Visual Studio Code. I think their integrations with Git is really great. Um, Git, GitHub, GitLab, um, any sort of version control system, definitely at the top of the list. Um, what do you use Visual Studio for? Visual um, Studio Code, sorry, for do you use it for actual, everything? Actual development, so writing code. Okay. They have a built-in terminal, so it's like an IDE. And then they have built-in version control as well. So like you can see the changes you're making in real time uh, before yep. you push to GitHub or, or some other version control system. Believe um, it or not, that is one of the tools that I still use quite a bit, um, Visual Studio Code. I, I like it a lot just for basic, I guess for my usage, right? What I like about it is that it, um, it can really open pretty much any file format out there, mm -hmm. more or less. And then it has all these very, very rich extensions and like an app store for extensions to Visual Studio Code mm -hmm. for whatever your programming language is, whatever your, uh, you know, deployment environment is, whatever your, um, you know, testing, you know, frameworks are, whatever it may be that just makes it very uh, flexible to customize to your exact needs and setup. Um, so I, I like that a lot. I also like the fact that it's, um, you know, you can pull in any kind of text-based file and it will render it, render it well without a lot of the fluff that other tools will add. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually thinking, I was curious cause I didn't know what you were going to answer and you said visual studio code, but, um, what's your take on the whole, like a developer IDE, so like a developer tool, developer environment, like I guess Visual Studio Code is versus your more traditionalists in the terminal or the console, you know, your VI, your Vim group. I'm, I'm a weird uh -oh. person to ask. Yeah, I don't, um, I use, I don't use Visual Studio Code's like IDE terminal. I just don't like it. I use local terminal on my desk on my computer and i'll use vim to edit files ad hoc and like do some stuff in git so i have a I, i'm more a hybrid approach 
Um, but I think it's whatever so what you're are, most. Sorry, go ahead. What are the things that you do? Because you mentioned Git. You mentioned Visual Studio Code integrating very well with Git. But then you also just said you do some Git operations in Vim. What do you use one or the other for then? Uh, it depends on my process. So like Visual, so Visual Studio Code, I'll see diffs of like, oh, you changed this line. But then in the terminal, when I'm merging branches, rebasing, amending commits, doing commit messages and stuff, then I'll use Vim to like edit things really quickly, or I'll open a file on my terminal if I'm already in there and then edit the file. So it just depends where I'm, where I'm hanging out. Like I won't go, cause I do enjoy using the terminal on my computer. Um, for I, I, just what I'm used to. There's no real reason for it. But then once I'm kind of in the flow of, of my domain, then I'll just stay there for a bit. And so if it's like, oh, I need to amend this commit, I'm in the terminal, I'll use Vim and I'll just like either uh, squash rebase or I don't know, do something like that. Um, so I go back and forth. I like learning Vim too. It's kind of fun. And actually similar tangent, I guess, but I'm curious what your take uh, is on like the Git clients that exist out there, the Git apps, right? So GitHub oh. has one, there's a bunch of others, right? Um, but using one of those versus like a plugin in Visual Studio Code or the command line, you know, in terminal directly. I'm curious what your take on that is. I get really scared about not having control like we using a git i've used git clients in the past and they freak me out just like you hit a button and it like rebases interactive for you like i feel like you don't have as much flexibility and if something goes wrong you're in pretty deep trouble just because you you don't know what's actually being executed at that level um i know people love them i just don't like that i don't like doing it i like doing it old school um, so yeah, that's my, what do you, how do you feel about it? Well, it's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm more of a visual person. So I've mm. typically just generally speaking, always preferred using the native apps, either, you know, Mac OS, iOS, what, whatever it may be, not just for Git, Right. But in general, always prefer like the native experiences and apps that, uh, these companies, you know, build and provide. Cause typically they're done by the company for their customers. So they're studied and, and developed and designed very well. For whatever reason, I think very similar to what you're saying, the Git applications and clients, I was never able to adopt or mm. use just because like you said, I, I think I just didn't understand what they did, right? And mm -hmm. like I said, it got scared. Whereas like if I went through this normal, like this, checklist like protocol like step by step of what i want to do with my local code base you know uh to get it merged um you know pushed um rebased whatever if i did it manually i knew exactly what was happening and i could stop it and monitor it step by step mm -hmm. whereas like you said in these clients sometimes like yeah there's a merge button or a rebase button and then you hit that and no idea what's happening right yeah, and then all yeah. of a sudden you have an end result yep yeah, I think that's general, my general philosophy with stuff that's abstracted too far from your control makes me a little cautious, and like pessimistic about, yeah, it's cool, but also like, will I be in deep trouble if I have problems and how much, 
do I need to relearn how something is done? Um, so, yeah. What else do you use like in your day to day? So Visual Studio Code definitely, and you know, associated Git plugins or command yeah, line yeah. stuff. But what's some other tools that you uh, use typically? Terminal. I mean, obviously Git. Um, um, what else do I use? Like, so then you were talking about how you're more into people management and assessing process productivity and stuff like that. I think that's a huge thing for developers as well. So tools like lint, like linting tools where um, you have a computer that are, there are community decided best practices and then a script is run and analyzes your code and then fixes it for you so that teams don't churn on things that aren't so important. Um, spend a lot of time dealing with linting. So that increases productivity, best practices, team collaboration. I think every developer should use lin a linter. And if you don't, I think you should read the linting documentation of your domain and learn why those things are important. I think you'll, that's a really good way to level up and improve your, your engineering. I guess I'll just remain blurry. I'm not sure why my camera lost me, but uh, thanks for that, Scott. I'm actually curious, similar to the Git thing, you know, a lot of, so I would agree that linting critically important just for keeping kind of recommended or best practices, quality, cleanliness, just ease of um, or readability, I guess. So ultimately maintainability of code. So I think linting is critically important. There's a lot of tools out there today, right? In the kind of linting space that do both stylistic checks, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, they also now do more and more like, um, you know, security checks, vulnerability checks, mm -hmm, like looking mm -hmm. at your, you know, any third party library that you will bring into your code base for functionality or, or anything like that. Um, and, um, you know, look for redundant code as well, things like that, right? That's generally kind of falls into, at least for this conversation, the, the under the umbrella of linting. Um, a lot of tools today and services and platforms today allow you to choose if you want some of these findings to be automatically fixed for you. Mm. For example, if you have a missing comma or semicolon, the linter can pick it up and add it for you, right? Mm -hmm. But similarly, they do the same for, they see you have an outdated version of some library that you use up, you know, for, for functionality in your code base, and it has a, a security vulnerability. It also, these linter tools also provide the ability to kind of automatically upgrade that library and right. uh, just do that work for you to make it seamless, right? And less work for yourself. Similar to the Git client question, do you use those tools and have them auto fix this stuff for you? Or do you like to see them find the issues and then you go in and fix them uh, on your own time? So let's talk about security. Uh, let's talk about this question in the context of security. Um, so, okay, actually, I'll answer this in multiple parts. For linting, I want them to fix. I want auto fix on for me. Those are things I don't want to think about. There's really nice in via Visual Studio Code and other editors, you just like on save, you format the code. So I don't really have to think about it. So that's great. Super productive. Um, the security thing is interesting because when you're talking about package versions and version managers, um, there's like minor version changes, major version changes, et cetera. So like I want, I haven't done this recently, 
But if I were to structure a team, I would want minor version non-breaking changes changed for me. And I would want all major version changes uh, notified for me to, and then like a ticket created and then me to change because I would be worried that a major version update breaks uh, some dependency tree thing and then the app goes down on deployment um yeah totally so that's that's how i feel about it it's like i feel comfortable with because i'm gonna have to fix that anyways right on the minor version change but it's just doing it for me on the major version change it's a little more hands-on so i'd i'd like to be alerted and then involved um some of these tools also today they they'll create a branch for you out of your version control you know whatever it may be get whatever create a branch, do the auto fix for you to automate that part. And then you can also just go in and review. Mm. That. Oh, that's, right. do you use a tool for that right now? With first? Um, so we, I've used a tool called um, Codacy, mm. C-O-D-A-C-Y.com Codacy uh, that uh, does that. I believe there are others. I'm, I wouldn't even be surprised actually if GitHub now, does this for you as an option github has gotten pretty rich in terms of kind of um uh you know branch protect branch protection and uh you know linting and auto fixing and you know creating prs and stuff like that for you automatically as well um so we you know have used that in the past some but again it's like you say usually you know there's a higher chance that these types of changes that are not like purely stylistic linting, there's a higher chance that, you know, those changes, if they get, you know, applied automatically, like a library upgrade, uh, will break something in your code base, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you have extremely solid and complete test coverage, which we could probably talk about at length in many other episodes to come. Yeah. But um, so yeah, that. Do you use any tools for like database access? like database clients and stuff like that? Or again, are you terminal based? Yeah, I usually go term. I mean, I'm a, I, well, I mainly program on the front end. Um, so I don't have to do too much of that. Um, I do like the stuff I have to query for isn't super complicated. If it did get more complicated, it would be nice to have like a visual graph of the relationships of the tables. I think that'd be nice. Um, do you, what do you yeah. use for first for database? Um, I'll use clients. There's a bunch of different clients out there, depending on what your actual database is uh, behind mm. the scene. If it's a MySQL or, you know, Postgres or NoSQL or mm. whatever, they, they all have different clients. Um, I, I like clients a lot for the main reasons that, you know, like you say, and I mentioned earlier, I'm a very visual person. So mm. having like a visual of like my database and data shape is important to me. A lot of these clients as well will automatically generate um, data diagrams for you. So relationships between your different uh, data objects, right? In your, in your uh, data model, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, things like that, that are super helpful as well. And one of the one of my favorite features of, you know, these, these database clients that I use a lot is the, the ease of, configuring and storing those con configurations as well as then switching between these configurations mm. so that 
when you're developing locally and you're troubleshooting something or whatever, you can use this client to look at your local databases data, just see what's going on there. Mm -hmm. But then if you wanted to switch because you're troubleshooting or you're finding a problem, we're going to see if your changes went through to like a, a test environment, you can just switch your configuration in the client and all of a sudden you're now connected to and getting data from like this hosted test environment or staging or production or whatever, right? You could do all of the above. Um, and I like that a lot with these clients because it just makes that much faster um, to, to just, you know, switch and, and kind of explore data around um, as well as kind of, you know, more and more of these clients will provide you um, statistics and data and uh, around just your database queries as well. So like if you wanted to try to run, you know, a select, you know, data that matches this condition in your database, right? It could tell you here's just overall performance trend of this, right? And here are issues or, or, or things like that. And you can do dry runs, things like that, which I find just very, very useful with most of the more modern um, database clients. That's cool. That's a really good point. Um, what are some other things? Do you use anything else like on your day-to-day? -day? You, I mean, sometimes REST clients, but honestly, like when you're when you come into a team and you uh, rest clients, meaning like hit an API and then see what data you get back. But honestly, like a, lo a lot of the data that I would need to see, I can see locally. Like I can just output what's being retrieved. So there's no like API that I'm thinking about using. Um, yeah, I'm a big rest client fan, actually. We use Postman a lot. You Postman, paw yeah. dot cloud or paw.co i can't remember um actually I like paw a lot more even than um postman um, and again it has a lot of these same features and functionalities that we were talking about for like the database uh, application you can do mm -hmm. the same with these rest clients you can kind of set up your profiles for your staging your test your local different users different variables you can pipe you know you know uh, requests or responses to requests into your subsequent requests, things like that. So it automates a lot of that stuff for you. Um, and then working in teams, what these REST clients help a lot with is just sharing profiles, configurations, secrets, uh, versions of an API, things like that, so that you, you can just cut the conversation shorts when you short, sorry, when you're looking at stuff, you know, together in a group context, say, well, which version of this API are you looking at? What environment, you know, what, you know, body, what parameters did you pass it? What do you get in response? You could just say, hey, here's what I did. Take this config, run it this way. And then it runs it with the same, you know, security credentials, the same profile, the same parameter, same body, all of that stuff. So you can compare apples to apples very mm. quickly and easily. And I like REST clients for that a lot. I still use them quite a bit. Cool. Um, what else, like, outside of sharing configurations what do you think it what what do, what do you use uh why are you in a rest client like on a daily basis um i more often than not in my day-to-day -day, today it's a lot of days um i use rest clients to understand how a, a backend or service, right, or an API works, right, to see what is, what data is available through this API, what data isn't available through this API, what sort of um, shape the data is, right, so that I 
can have more informed decisions about you know what we could then build more quickly or more easily in our clients your mobile app or your website or whatever you know when you want to start building new features or or, or functionality right often you know we find ourselves in situations where a team doesn't this doesn't always own the full stack meaning they're not all in control of uh back end you know um middleware front end whatever so you know rather than you know kind of saying this is not possible i like to go poke around the apis to see okay what does it give me and therefore what could i build with this is the information there for us to create this interface or is it missing or is there an alternative or whatever um i do that a lot but another piece where i use rest clients a lot as well for is um troubleshooting like customer errors like the customers will see something in the website, right? Or mm. the mobile app or whatever, and just something we can't reproduce or that's just odd or whatever. Um, often I will go look at kind of how is the API that serves those clients behaving uh, just to see if the API itself is up and running, if the data that it's returning is correct or incorrect um, and try to isolate, try to isolate um, where the issue is coming from. Mm. Interesting. And then I build automations for some of our stuff as well. So like there's a lot of in our different businesses that I like to do is, you know, we talked about, it, I don't remember if it was, it's in a past episode, let's just say, I don't know if it was the last one or not, but talk about us using, you know, Zapier to automate a mm -hmm. lot of uh, integrations between different systems. So what that affords you to do as well is you could, you know, have Zapier integrate with some form of your API to automate some task that you're working on. So, uh, and then kind of developing that I would use a REST client as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, cool. Yeah, those are the main ones. I can't. I can't think of any anything else. Yeah, I think we should next time or some other time we should talk about tooling, maybe related to you know where you would host and deploy your application. Yeah, that's but great. Again, that's yeah. that's a good one for another episode. Otherwise, go on for hours. Cool. All right. Well, thank, thank you, the, Scott. Thank you. Um, cool. Looking we'll see good. you next week. All right. I'll talk to you next week, man. Thanks a lot. Have Take care. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Startup Tips podcast. Be sure to share your comments and questions and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. And tune in next time for more insight and advice from the Startup Tips podcast.